1: Bonjour.
2: <laughs> can you do a borrow impression?
3: Um, About as well as anyone else can, apart from David Suchet.
2: I don't know. I think you can do it better. I want to hear you do it.
3: Uh, I could probably walk like him. Good the coin. <laughs> the coin
1: you could say
2: he coined the (laughs) E. you shouldn't say that no one should say that
1: you're on fire (laughs) no
2: you're very generous with your fire thank you
3: i've got a question for you then okay how much do you love david Suchet's poirot
2: it's impossible to quantify isn't it
3: no you have to you have to quantify it in one
2: word entirely
3: entirely nice what about you yeah i was gonna say entirely as well no, I don't know what to say. Well, you actually. <laughs> Absolument. Oh, that's better. Is that a French that's word? Good. Or is that a Belgian word? It
2: doesn't really matter, does it? French, Belgian. It's all good. Don't
3: say that to Poirot. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, they speak, he speaks French, but he just, you know, unless you know the Flemish for it.
3: I don't even think Belgians know the Flemish for it.
2: No. Depends what part of Belgium you're in. Have you ever been to Belgium?
3: No. Have you?
2: Yeah, it's really cool.
3: That doesn't surprise me. You have a Poirot tattoo.
2: I have three Poirot tattoos.
3: you think you're more qualified to talk about David Suchet's Poirot than I am?
2: I don't think that's true.
3: Well, I think you are. Um, I've seen the video of your wedding.
2: Yes. When I married David Suchet. <laughs> Sadly not.
3: <laughs> I love him very much. You've seen him live as well, haven't you?
2: Okay, that makes it sound like I'm watching him right outside his house a lot. <laughs> and it's not as much as you'd think. Um, I... have <laughs> I've seen him do his Poirot and me thing and I've seen him in conversation and I've seen him in a couple of plays and a a book signing. It does sound like I'm stalking him actually now that I'm listing this off. (laughs) seen him
1: in
3: bed. I've seen him <laughs> <laughs> through
2: the window. I've seen him in the shower.
3: I've seen him on the toilet.
2: Just, if they're not going to make any more episodes, then where am I supposed to get my content from? My viewing pleasure.
3: <laughs> I watch him as he drives.
2: That's a lovely thing from his book, isn't it? About how he used the same driver the whole time he was filming Poirot. He used to, was a taxi driver on his first day. And that's really nice.
3: Or he's a cheapskate.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I <can't> like <laughs> to think he <laughs> paid him, but you never know, I suppose.
3: This is obviously going to be a show dedicated to the David Suchet Poirot TV show, which is the greatest TV show of all time. Mm-hmm. Do you have a statement regarding that?
2: Uh, I agree entirely. Entirely seems to be the theme of the day. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this this is it's an undisputed fact, I would say. Mm.
3: Did you watch it from the beginning because you're quite a way younger than I am
1: so I'm not
3: sure.
2: yeah I am I am uh, about 400 years younger than you mm-hmm. give or take
3: so so are all trees
2: <laughs> <laughs> count the rings um I was yeah I was three when the series started okay and so I came to it probably a bit later then you know because the whole like still struggling to keep my head upright and Walk and all that kind of stuff, keeping me busy, occupying my time.
3: That comes back in life, by the way. (laughs)
2: Oh God, really? Is that why you're like your head's shaking around all over the place, like a bobblehead? So you
3: discover beer, it's like you become an infant again,
2: like a nodding dog. Yeah. So yeah, I I came to it late and then became obsessed with it as I I think grew up with it essentially from there, but obviously not from the beginning. So it was just it was always on ITV, Mm. wasn't it? Where we are in the UK. And I've always been interested in Angela Christie because my dad had all the books and I had all the book covers and the spines and I just studied them all the time and just fascinated. And then well, after that whole learning to read thing really kicked off, I uh, picked them up and read them hmm. and loved them. And yeah, and the rest is just the uh, beginning of my love story with the show. Hmm. How about you?
3: Um, I'm very cool because I remember.
2: Oh, everyone knows that, of course. You're well sat backwards on a chair right now. So. Yeah,
3: I'm <laughs> sat <So> upright. <laughs> Can you believe it? Um, I watched it when it first aired it was 89 it was on wasn't it Mm -hmm. so I was 13 um, and I watched the very first episode Adventure of the Clapham Cook Mm -hmm. on a Sunday evening I think it was like 8 o'clock or something and the next day because I'm really very cool I went into school and asked if (laughs) any of my contemporaries had seen Faro last night
2: Hey fellow kids.
3: Believe it or not, they
2: have... <laughs> skateboard under your arm, monocle
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> on the under. On
3: arm. in summer. <laughs> So I was desperately, desperately on call and watched Poirot. No one at school watched Poirot. Um, but I remember watching The Dream, which I think is the last episode of Series 1. Yeah. And going into school and I was like, please tell me someone watched The Dream. It was amazing. And no one had. So Surely the
2: teachers were like, oh, I did.
3: <laughs> Not you. Um, so it's really nice after 80 years, whatever it was when I was a child to finally talk to someone about the dream. I know we're 10 episodes away, but- It'd
2: be a good episode. be
3: quite a moment. Oh my God, it's such good hmm.
4: yeah. To do a mixture of French and Belgian, but I also need to speak English. So I listened to English-speaking Belgian radio, English-speaking French radio. Now, once I'd done that, I couldn't use my own voice. I mean, listen to my voice, it's down here. But Poirot is a head voice. So, what I had to do was start with my voice down here. Think a little bit about French accent or something like that, and talking, and then you have the guttrel sounds of the Flemish here coming, and then you mix the... Flemish with the French and it sounds something like this a little like that but you raise your voice slightly and it goes to the chest and then it goes to the throat and then you put in the little Belgian a little French up 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 and there you are you have Hercule Poirot <laughs>
3: So, what's your favourite episode, standout so far? Well, you know, from the whole series. Oh God! What are you looking forward to seeing? Hold on,
2: just series one, or just in the whole run of the whole? The show? whole thing. God, it's yeah. so hard. Like, I mean, I don't have children, but they say it's like picking a favourite children. Even though I'm fairly certain everyone's got a favourite. But anyway,
3: I have. Yeah. Do you really? Mm, you, have to
2: tell, yeah. you can tell me off, cam- off camera, off mic. No, I'll tell you on camera. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
3: joking. They won't listen to us anyway. It's not on TikTok. <laughs>
2: I have a few favourites um, mm. because they're there's just, there's such a rich catalogue. It's, and this, um, the writing isn't, everything's is perfect about it, obviously, all the time. Um, mm. The writing, the acting, the sets, everything's just a dream. Um, but yeah, the early ones, uh, they are very special to me. I love things like Dumb Witness. That one is mm. a, a cracker. Mainly because it's got a great dog in it as well. Bob.
5: Bob the dog. Bob the dog.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: Hastings.
3: What make of dog is this? A uh, fox
2: terrier. And started David Touche's personal love affair with the, well, the wire hair fox terrier, I believe. He got one after.
3: I hope it wasn't like a personal love affair. <laughs>
2: <laughs> why are you so judgmental about people's love? <laughs> Just let him, let him live. And he's a national treasure. He can do whatever he, want, <laughs> to whoever yeah, that's he wants. That's why
3: he's always travelling.
2: He was escaping to his narrow boat to escape me. I'm <laughs> 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 paddling after him. <laughs> um... Yeah, uh, I the dumb witness. Um, some of the early ones. I actually rewatched um, Problem at Sea. God, that one is so good. It's a doll. Yes, a doll. Except
5: this doll is an important witness to the truth of who killed Madame Clapperton.
2: They're all so good, and in the later ones, obviously they get they get. The production right. we'll talk about it as we go, of course, but the production value just increases and increases and the budgets go up and the actor names get bigger and bigger. So they get they become much more um what's more feature film esque, I suppose, in a lot of ways. But uh some of the later ones are great. I thought the labours of Hercules our namesake, to a degree, mm. um, was really, really, really good, really haunting and creepy and dark. Um, but well, there's so many I can't even possibly. Yours, your favourite is the dream. You said.
3: Yeah, my favourite is the dream, only because it's there's a there's a real, really clever puzzle at centre of it. Yeah, it's a, like a locked room mystery sort of. Mm. How was this murder committed? And I remember sort of about halfway through thinking, oh, I've got the gestation of an idea, and I, it was in it was like my little grey cells came to life and. And I managed to work it out, and I was like, I really hope this is right. And then I was right, and I was like, I'm so proud of myself, I'm so pleased with myself. And then I just fell in love (laughs) with all like the Christie stories after that, because I was like, oh, I need to solve them, see if I can do it. And I don't manage it many times, (laughs) I'm (laughs) honest with you.
6: I have the same dream, night after night. I'm sitting in my room next to this, sitting at my desk writing there's a clock in there I look up at it I see the time it is exactly 28 minutes past 12 always the same time you understand when I see the time Poirot I know I've got to do it at 28 minutes past 12 I open the second drawer down On the right of my desk, I take out a revolver, I load it, then I go over to the window. And then? I shoot myself. I just lift the gun to my head and shoot myself.
2: Because... You can't. No one can match her genius. She's, no, uh, she was unbelievable brain.
6: She gets the
3: balance so right between giving you the clues you need mm. and obscuring them enough so that they're not impossible to. Yeah, yeah. She's she's unsurpassed.
2: Yeah, so she's quite good. Angus uh, Christie. Yeah, she's
3: all right.
2: She's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Sold quite a few copies and all that. She's yeah, yeah pretty. It's
3: like forty thousand books she's sold now, isn't
2: it? Yeah. yeah, like one of the biggest selling authors of all time. I think.
3: <laughs> I'm getting it. Was- it's like four billion, isn't it? Four billion books? Something, <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, you were joking. Um, yeah, no, it's, she's the best. You
3: said, do you remember her books as well?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have I have them all, obviously. And yeah, I read them. And obviously, the, I just the cover art as well. This is a whole, we could do a whole separate. This
3: is what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. The cover art for me when I was growing up was, I used to see Agatha Christie books in bookshops yeah. and in secondhand shops and places. And they were always like these really disturbing visual images like a skull with a spider coming out of the eye or like you know a shot through a drink or something and then there's a dagger on the side and um I remember those books and the Alfred Hitchcock books being that kind of same horrible imagery as, as a child so those two names for me were always really sinister As I was growing up, and it's only since, you know, reading them and exploring them and watching his films and things that you realise... Well,
2: it's Tom Adams as the artist, wasn't it, behind a lot of her later Mm. covers, in the 70s covers. Like, they are... they're terrifying. And they're so, like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the stories themselves, that's the thing about Agatha Christie, and one of the reasons why why it continues to be such a big hit all over the world is because it's a murder show you can watch in a Sunday afternoon and your whole mm. family can watch it and it's, you know, it's scary to a degree but it's it's family friendly. There's no blood. Mm. Even in the books there's really no blood. It doesn't ever get gory or gratuitous in any mm. sort of way. Um, so the covers were, you think, holy, i on, we're not going to sh- swear on this podcast, are we? <laughs> <laughs> Probably shouldn't. I'm not used to being censored on my one. I just, I have a mouth like a sailor. So, right? <laughs> i'll be good
3: well that's a good that's a good way to uh, tee you up then so why don't you tell everyone who you are and what else you do
2: okay hi everyone (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you've been listening to me ramble already my name is Frankie uh, I have another podcast that I do as well called the red and buried podcast where I host it with my my dear friend Sarah and we talk about crime books and we speak to authors and just generally chat a lot of rubbish and with uh, very low brow reviews of very well written books probably is the best way to describe it
3: oh, I'd say highbrow definitely <laughs> I love your show
2: that's very kind. Well, obviously, I'm a huge fan of your hundreds of shows that you do and hundreds of pieces of content you put out all the time. And I'm going to say, Adam, why don't you introduce yourself? But everyone probably knows who you are already if they're listening to this. it be silly. But let's do it anyway. For uh, fun. Well,
3: I'm Adam, and I created the Secret History of Hollywood podcast. That's my main gig. And the Attaboy Clarence podcast, which is like my side gig. And I'm a quarter of the House of Hammer. And I'm on a show called All the Best Lines. And... I do writing and things. It's like I'm, I'm around in all kinds of different media. But yeah, I, don't, I hate having an inactive brain.
2: Well, I don't think you could <laughs> if you tried.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm now half of this show as well. The labels. Yeah, cool.
2: Very excited.
3: Which, as you said, takes its name from the mini series. I want to call it a mini series of stories she did. It was Mm -hmm. in the collection, wasn't it? I think it was like 10 stories. Yeah. But um, I remember when they were nearing the end of the run with David Suchet and they were like, we've only got three stories left. And I remember thinking, no, you've got Labours of Hercules is like 10 and then you've got Curtain then you've got Big Four and stuff. And I was thinking, no, there's loads left. And then they very cleverly combined all ten stories, didn't they, into like one... Mega story. ...episode, full-length episode. Yeah. And I remember being yeah. really trepidatious by it, because I loved The Labours of Hercules. I think that was a great collection of stories, and I was thinking, oh, they don't miss them out but they, they were very very wise with what they did.
2: Oh 100% mm. yeah the, the last episodes although heartbreaking to have to sit through because mm. it meant the end but they were so well done and it's just yeah and it, it, that's the thing even though I've read The Neighbors of Hergies watching it was a completely different experience but in a positive way which is so rare with an adaptation of something that you love that you mm. actually really love it and enjoy it and it was perfectly done. That's
3: the thing about this series; the quality never dips, does it? No. Even like the first series, which is ten episodes, yeah, and they're all under an hour, and they obviously there are a lot of poirot short story so it was yeah rich pickings in terms of Mm. stories to tell but um even the early ones i mean if anything the early ones are kind of more beautiful in a way they're not as slick yeah they're very well produced and because they were done in the 80s there was you were only like 50 years outside of the time they were set so most of the architecture and streets and everything don't look modern at all so they were still a bit untouched
2: yeah uh, that's the thing and then there are some sets that are still some buildings and things they use that are still around and still with that beautiful art deco
1: mm.
2: architecture got it. surbiton station which features in um ventures the clap mm-hmm. which is n- quite near where i live so that's always exciting when i go past that on the train
3: and Clapham common not just over the road from the house in this the main the house i mean when when he rocks up to the house in the car, yeah, and they go through the gate and into the house. I mean, they're just even the the wall decorations and the, the tiling on the floor and everything—you can tell it's a holdover from Victorian times. And that's like, oh, I love
2: it so much. <laughs> it's and and you make a good point as well because I, I read in his book that they, the first series they spent five million on the first ten episodes, that's um, which was an ex- yeah, especially for the eighties, that's mm. like what today's money, like five. 100 billion pounds or something i'm not good with currency but something uh,
3: like that yeah by today's (laughs) currency it might be about 30 quid (laughs)
1: yeah that's true
2: (laughs) but yeah you you can see that it's so rich and Mm. just the everything about it's just perfect i think i think his budget um the majority of the budget went on his moustaches for the first 10 episodes as well because (laughs) it's so rich and textured
3: well i suppose we better say a word about the uh, recurring cast that we're going to see at least for the next 40 something episodes Um, obviously the man himself David Suchet um, I mean what a perfect piece of casting I mean it's it's like he was born to play that part what do you think of him? This is
2: the thing. There have been so many portrayals of Poirot on the screen, and they've all been mm. fine.
3: I know you're particularly fond of Kenneth Branagh, aren't you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you
2: said we weren't going to swear on this podcast. <laughs> um, best we don't... I don't get into that uh, that dark, dark period in our history, but um, let's go back to the originals. Like Albert Finney, mm. um, Peter Ustinov, like, they're all good in their own way, mm. but... David Suchet is the is the definitive mm. Perciporo. I think in terms of the way that Agatha Christie wrote him, the look of him, the way everything he, he he did his research, and you can you can tell.
3: Oh my God! Yes. Yeah. Even down to the pound coin.
2: <laughs> You're gonna have to explain the pound coin to people that don't know. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, in his book *Poirot and Me*, he. Talks about how he perfected the Poirot walk, which he describes as a mince. I think
2: she it's did in her of, book as well. The mince. Yeah,
3: I think it's, I think, yeah, it's like the Poirot mince. It's very <laughs> quick steps, legs close together, and he said he achieved it consistently by inserting a pound coin between his um, bum cheeks <laughs> and keeping it there and walking around. And if you think about it, it's like pretty genius. It, it really, is and- because. It, even when he was walking up and downstairs, he had to walk a certain way to keep it there, otherwise you would have heard a <laughs> clink.
0: Poirot's walk was so
2: famous and you had an unusual way with a coin of getting that, a little technique.
4: You have a wonderful way of putting it. Now, I, I actually put a coin in between the cheeks of my buttock and walked in a way that I couldn't let the coin drop. Detailed and mm. descriptive in the book.
1: Wow. So, so
4: he, he's actually, he crossed the lawn in his rapid mincing gait. That mm. was the, the line, so isn't it? I had to try and find that to, to keep it in the character mm. of Poirot as well. So if anybody's trying to imitate it, then get a coin and slip it Pop down the buttocks there. and see so how I, you get on. I wouldn't recommend it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Just never ask David Touche if he has change, because... <laughs> give it a rinse first (laughs) but no clearly worth every worth every penny
3: (laughs) (laughs) all hundred of them (laughs) (laughs) exactly
2: yeah no he's perfect
3: there's a thing when it comes to sherlock holmes for instance people say that basil rathbone is the ideal holmes and he definitely if you think Mm -hmm. of holmes you you think of at least that sort of image but they say that jeremy brett is the purist's version Mm -hmm. because not only did he look like him, he kind of, you know, he's more faithful to the character. I think that you can't fault David Suchet's Poirot, one bit. he looks exactly like he's described. Yes. And he it's hard, it's weird to say but it's it's almost like he he's better than Agatha Christie's description of the way Poirot acts it's like, he's too
2: good to be true yeah,
3: it's incredible
2: I I actually have a description of him here from Agatha Christie book where he says I am five feet four inches high my head it is egg shaped and I carry it a little to one side the left my eyes I am told shine green that's the only thing that's different because he had brown very dark eyes David Suchet um, shine green when i'm excited hmm, so cute um my boots are patent leather smart and shiny my stick is embossed with a gold band actually i think a stick is silver in the series so all oh, those oh, forget
3: everything i've just said then. <laughs> cancel this stupid podcast what a waste
2: um my watch is large and keeps my time exactly my mustache is the finest in all london very true see that and it, i could, hard to argue that perfection mm.
4: Then, I was approached by the producer, Brian Eastman, and I was asked uh, if I had read a lot of, uh, or any of, Agatha Christie, and I, to my shame I said no. And um, he said, have you heard of a character called Hercule Poirot? And I said, oh yes, I've, I, yeah, I've seen him on the, on the screen, of Peter Usenoff, Albert Finney. And he said, well, we're, we're really seriously considering making a series, uh, would you like to do it? And You you are our first choice, and gradually one thing led to another, and I got the books and I started reading. And I I rang my brother John, who I I know is here tonight, um, uh, because he's always wise, my older brother. (laughs) And I said, um, "Do you know Agatha Christie?" He said, "Yes, of course I know Agatha Christie." "Do you know Hercule Poirot?" "Yes, of course I know Hercule Poirot." "Should I?" "I've just been offered the possibility of playing it, and I just wondered what you would think." And he said, "What?" I said, well, I just wonder what you might think of it. He said, oh, God, don't touch it with a barge pole. <laughs> the moral of that story, never listen to your older brother.
3: Um, and then, obviously, playing his loyal friend, Captain Hastings... The marvellous Hugh Fraser. Amazing. Again, it's like, you couldn't ask for anyone more perfect, really, could you? No. I've seen lots of Hastings in different things, and they're all kind of, they're a bit too rough and tumble, and you could say that Hugh Fraser plays it a little bit Nigel Bruce-ish, and like a little bit bumbling, maybe, but um, I think it makes him more lovable. I don't mind a bumbling psychic because it's nice to have the clever one explain things to him sometimes, so that you get them. But
2: well, he's, he's meant to represent us right mm. <laughs> the people the dum-dums <laughs> watching be <laughs> like what, what does it all mean for? But the, 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 I think the reason why it works so well that Hugh Frazier plays it so well is because he is bumbling and he's quite stupid and definitely we'll get into it in future episodes definitely is distracted very easily by women mm-hmm. um but he plays his bumblingness straight he's not doing it for comedic effect there is a no. comedic effect mm. but he he it's so genuine his kind of his awe and surprise and, you know, learning of what's happening, it's all very, it feels very authentic with him, I think. And he's such a gentleman.
1: Yeah,
3: he is. That's the crucial thing as well. Because of the era it's set, you can tell he's, he has had military service as well, so he's He's got this aura about him. He's refined, and he likes what he likes, and he likes cars.
2: What a lad. Yeah,
3: he's a proper lad. (laughs) Uh, The Poirot mysteries do require a certain element of physicality sometimes, and it's great to have Hugh Fraser playing... Um, Captain Hastings for those moments where someone needs to be chased down, or you know, or they need a fast yeah. car, or uh, yeah, there's a problem to be solved, and uh, Poirot doesn't want to get his gloves dirty or something like that. So or his
2: boot, his shoes, mm. his shiny shoes. <laughs> yeah, no. And Hastings is all tall, and yeah, he he can run, and he loves driving. Poirot hates driving, they're, they're polar opposites, but it's so well balanced, isn't it? Like they, they know,
3: love each other as, as well,
2: rich... <laughs> <That's a thing.
3: laughs>
2: Even when Poirot is saying something incredibly cutting. Mm and judgmental of him. You can tell it's done with love and it's almost like out of a disappointed parent when Hastings says something really stupid. It's like, oh. but it, there is, <laughs> sake, but the love is there and, yeah, and it's yeah, reciprocated clearly. We stan them. Is that what the kids' do. Uh, <laughs> and scrambled eggs, was it?
5: We And the little of sausages?
2: Oh, yes,
0: sir.
5: Tavoured kidneys?
0: Kidneys, yes. What about bacon? Crisp. Of course. And tea? Or a nice pint of home brew.
5: Beer? For breakfast? Two pints, please. But Hastings, we've got to be back before
4: twelve. Plenty
3: of time. And then we go to the other occupant of Whitehaven Mansions, which is Miss Lemon, played by Pauline Moran, who terrified me as a child because she played the original Woman in Black in the eighty nine. Same year as well. What a year for her.
2: Wow. Great um, year. Yeah, God.
3: Um, she played the woman in black in the TV adaptation of that, which was, mm. remains to this day, the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my
2: life. It is truly terrifying. I've seen oh, it Oh, God.
3: So. Um, but yeah, so she plays Miss Lemon, who is not only Poirot's secretary, but also a crossover character from another Agatha Christie series. Did you know that? I didn't
2: know that I did.
3: She played um, the secretary to Mr. Parker Pine. Ah. Also. Oh. Same character, yes. And then she went to work for Mr Poirot.
2: Well, when you've got a character as strong as Miss Lemon, you might as well get everything you can out of her, get your money's worth, because, yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> and she's... she's- She's his secretary and she sorts his life out and she keeps him in check and keeps his ego in check a lot of the time. And also, she does <laughs> much needed. She's
3: very withering. She's probably the only one actually. He can fire something at her and she can just take him down as well. <laughs> yeah, hundred <laughs> <She's like, "Whoa." laughs> percent.
2: And she's a little bit brighter than Hastings. I think he he appreciates, <laughs> which is probably why he takes it from her because she's smart enough to do it. <laughs> Poor Hastings. <laughs> Poor Hastings. <laughs> he's look. He's got a lot of other strengths. Mm. He he can drive that's it (laughs) (laughs) no he's we obviously love hastings but miss lemon and him have a unique relationship and she she knows he's insane and weird and he's got his little little quirks and things and she's just totally accepting of it to a degree and she but she's also very she's quite fastidious herself in a lot of ways you know organized and meticulous and yeah
3: her her main mission in life is to develop the perfect filing system (sighs) So, what a noble mission which she does over the course of the series. Oh,
2: spoilers, God, I oh, sorry.
0: <laughs> No,
3: <laughs> that's her character arc ruined.
0: It's nearly complete, you see. My system, ah, uh. every one of your cases classified and cross-referenced five different ways. Five? Oh yes. In this cabinet, names of witnesses. In this, name of perpetrator, if known. Victims, trade, or profession type of case abduction addiction adultery see
2: also under marriage bigamy see also under marriage bonds
3: see also under marriage
2: and what about the last one
3: yeah you tell us about him
2: <sighs> inspector jap
3: this is the coolest thing we get to talk about this
2: i, I know I'm, I'm not lost on me how exciting this is I'll
3: tell you what we should totally record this and make a podcast <laughs>
2: oh i see you're making a joke it's very funny
3: <laughs> yeah thank you very much <laughs>
2: Sorry, I'm slow. I'm the Hastings of this duo, really. <laughs> um, Yeah. So what do you think of Inspector Jaff? I've talked loads about my gushing of all of them. I've gushed all over them. That sounded terrible. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, Philip Jackson. That's what I love about this whole thing. It's The four main characters who anchor it mm. are just so likeable. Yes. So, and, but as well... They don't just start off a certain way and stay there. Like, they develop yeah. in incredible ways. As the series goes on, there's a really fantastic episode. I can't remember the name of the story right now, but there's one where um, Jap goes on a speaking talk.
1: Yes, yes. And, yes. and oh he's God.
3: talking about his past cases. Yes. And Poirot is really upset by it because, you know, why is he going out telling people he's claimed all my games? And then, I won't, I won't spoil it because we'll get yeah. to that episode, but there's a certain moment in it where Jap reveals a certain truth about his career mm-hmm. in to to an auditorium. And it's one of the most beautiful moments ever. Suchet is completely annoyed and angry and yeah. about to leave. And then he hears this, this thing that he's saying. And, and it's like, oh, they're they're like a little family. They
2: are completely, yeah. And that's the thing with, it's the classic kind of trope with these kinds of things where you've got a detective that's not a part of the police force, but they're coming in and they're solving murders. And it's like, it's it's that thing of the police often and Hastings to a degree, Hastings, goodness, Jap to a degree is a little bit like, and say can you keep your nose out of this for Jesus we're trying to do our police work um, but respect him infinitely and recognises his genius and knows that actually he needs him a lot of the time with a bit of reluctance he loves to tease him as well Like they have a really good teasing relationship between the two of them I would say because yeah, it's it's fun. It's all in good humor because Jap is also the most British man on the planet. Like
3: he's working class as well. Yeah. Whereas the others aren't really, are they? Apart from his no,
2: name. that's true. Actually, I hadn't considered that.
3: He's like Bang as a mash guy, and you know he's got a, an old raincoat, a big old moustache, and pipe, and things like that. And the rest of it, he, he, I think he likes visiting their world almost. Oh. He, he, ascending to the heavens. White why, There's an
2: episode later on. I think it's um, which one is it? God, that's going to drive me crazy. But it's the one where he stays at Poirot's flat for a while Ooh. and he uses the Day. <laughs> he doesn't know what it's for. <laughs> and he's like washing his face with the day and Poirot's horrified <laughs> when he tells him. It's so good. And also I think, I think that same episode he's like, oh, we're going to have, um, I'll make you spotted dick or something. And Poirot's like, <laughs> <dick. just>
4: truly <laughs> disgusted. What's that thing in the bathroom, Poirot? Come on. Like a, um, foot bath. Uh, The bidet. Oh, a bidet. It's got a sort of fountain thing in the middle. What's that for? Ah,
5: it is of no significance. Nearly got a squirt in the eye when I turned it on. (coughs) It is best not to tamper with it, Chief Inspector. It is broken. I will get the food. Must say, I'm looking forward to this, Miss
1: Lemon. You look like a man in need of his dinner, Chief Inspector. That thing in the bathroom,
5: though. It is best not to bother Miss Lemon with the deficiencies of our plumbing
3: chief inspector. And also, there's a a great episode called The Chocolate Box where Mm. um, they go to Belgium together, don't they? Because Jap's going to receive this award. Yeah. And you watch him totally change, like, all the way through. But as well, you don't ever get the sense that Jap's a stupid policeman. You get the feeling like... He figures things out for himself And he's a very successful man Because he's solved lots of cases So there is a mutual respect for their Different skill sets but um, when the, when he goes to Belgium to get kind of, this award and Poirot goes with him, he, he turns into this, oh, it's going like that, and he sort of straightens up. And everyone he meets, he's like, hello, sir, it's very good to meet. And you're like, oh, such a great character. I mean, and that's so perfectly performed by Philip Jackson, I'd say. Like, he, yeah. He's definitely.
2: Because he's so, as you say, he's likable through his st- stiffness. It's just, yeah, it's the a... Delightful performance.
3: He's always mentioned fourth, isn't he? You know, in that list of four yeah. um, recurring characters. But, um, I mean, I mean, you couldn't do the series without any of them, really. No. And when they do disappear later on, yeah. in the more modern series, it, it does feel slightly emptier, I would say.
2: There's a loss.
3: But even though the mysteries are great, the stories are great, David Suchet is always great, and the guest stars they have are fantastic. But I was so over the moon when they brought them all back. For the big four. I was like, oh.
2: They had to for the last ones. Um, but one that's one of the things I love about the TV, the early episodes in particular, is that often, like, Jap is written into a story that he's not in in the book. But it's great because you're always happy to see Inspector Jap. Yeah. So I'll take, you know, write him into everything. For, in every show, not even Poirot. Just write him into every show ever. And I'd be very, very happy. Yep. They
3: should put him into everything. Game of Thrones. Yeah. yeah Simpsons. Everything. <laughs> great <in> the
2: Simpsons. <laughs> and interesting, I think David Touche said before, uh, he before he played Poirot, he actually played Inspector Jap, I think, in another yeah. adaptation. Which yeah. is like that's mind boggling. That's so wrong.
3: Yeah, I remember I remember seeing that actually. And
2: yeah. Oh really? Yeah,
3: I remember thinking, This is uh, I don't like it. <laughs> Stop it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> wrong. No. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Out. My poor Jap, I'm afraid your presentation of the case revolts the intelligence. It doesn't revolt mine. Oh, I've got to get back to a flat. I've got a few more questions for her ladyship now. Hastings and I will accompany you. I don't want you to. It's on our way. I don't. Care. Resign yourself to the fact that from now on, everywhere you go is on our way.
2: <laughs> we should probably actually talk about the very first episode now. We've
3: yeah, I'm,
2: yeah let's do so that. much. <laughs> Um, no, no, but the, we, this thing we could talk about this i could just chat about the elements of it forever without going to any specific episodes
3: just yeah just like gushing over them like as you say mm.
2: Mm. yeah ruining his suit for the gushing
3: <laughs> well we're gonna have plenty of opportunities to do that because so i think there are a couple of episodes of this
2: mm-hmm. yeah.
3: anyway thank you so much for doing this because i put a call out on social media a little while ago i was watching them on a sunday afternoon and i was thinking oh god words cannot express how much i love this show. So I wonder if anyone would want to make a Poirot podcast, but not a Poirot podcast. I want to do it specifically about the David Suchet TV series because there are far more learned, but I don't really want to go back to the books and that kind of thing. But I've seen every episode, must be 20 times each. <laughs> and your name was quickly mentioned. It was like, oh, speak to Frankie, speak to Frankie. So we got in touch and we've since become very good friends. I can't believe how perfect you are for this show because you are the biggest Poirot nut Thank you. I've ever met.
2: <laughs> well yeah first we're going back to your, your you put this tweet out and I think you basically summoned me you basically <laughs> went into a dark room said my name three times in a mirror and turned off the light and then I appeared <laughs> <You> because <did. laughs> you tweeted out saying I want to do a podcast about Poirot, specifically David Zujo's Poirot. And I think, and I was scared that you thought I'd hired some bots to just spam <laughs> you with my name. <laughs> because all the all of my lovely friends on Twitter, I'll give a shout out to Jamie Smart in particular, because he was the first one to be like, um, I think, I think this is you <laughs> he's talking about. And then a few other people like, oh my god, Frankie, you've got to do this. So I then emailed you and tried not to sound too insane, which is hard, given my level of, obsession with Poro.
3: also hard because you were in the ceiling of David Suchet's house at the time,
2: it really <laughs> <Exactly>. time. <laughs> the wi-fi is not good up there you know um, <laughs> um but yeah it was uh so yeah it's all worked out beautifully from my perspective I'm very excited and honored that you'd let me oh, my, even talk about this
3: this is like you know such a dream to do and you are such a dream to do it with so over the moon very kind well (laughs)
2: likewise god no I'm thrilled and I yeah as you've as you've alluded to I'm quite into Poirot I'm like totally casual about it it's not really a big deal uh yeah I have a few Poirot tattoos I walked down to walk down the aisle at my wedding to the theme music because it is the greatest theme music of all time. That's a whole oh, other yeah. Conversation. I mean, <laughs> we,
3: yeah, we've got plenty of opportunities to discuss the music. Oh, can't wait. Oh,
2: and the, the credits and oh, um, and yeah, I yeah, I've been to see him a couple of times casually, <laughs> like totally cool, not weird about it at all. Um, and I have yeah, all the books obviously, and just generally anything with Poirot's face or whatever. David Touche's Poirot specifically. Um, I will probably own or put on my body in some way <laughs> at least so you ever thought yeah. about
3: having a poirot moustache
2: tattoo yeah 100% on. have you you considering my my foreign heritage I you'd think naturally I could probably grow one but turns out no which is a disappointment <laughs> that I face every day um but I yeah I I've had to settle for a couple of them tattooed upon my person not on my face because um I just think I couldn't pull it off in the same way that he does but Maybe one day. Maybe as I age, I'll grow one. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you should pay tribute and wax your eyebrows. Or something.
2: Oh, yeah? You think I could? I mean, we can talk about his moustache. That's a whole other thing as well, as the evolution of Poirot's moustache.
3: Shall I, as a challenge, <gasps> grow a moustache from this moment until our last episode? Yes. And slowly shape it into a Poirot moustache.
2: Uh, nothing would make me happier. <laughs> I feel like you could get some, some tips from your friend Kev. He's <laughs> got a cracking moustache.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Ooh.
2: Maybe he could give you some guidance.
3: Well, I think... Some offcuts. It might be. <laughs> He's got very different colour hair to me, obviously. Yeah. And to and poro. It might look good. I might just not tell them, see if see what they say, because we do speak regularly on Zoom calls.
2: Mm.
3: They say, what's that moustache I'm talking about? What is that this?
2: <laughs> Can you dye it dark as well? Yeah. Okay. Great.
3: You literally want me to do this?
2: Yeah, 100%. No, you've committed to it now and everybody knows. And um, Okay. Can't wait to watch the progress.
3: Yeah, me too. (laughs) we are trying to to grow a moustache for 40 years.
2: But now now you have a purpose. Maybe that's what it's needed this whole time.
3: There's going to be that period, though, where I look.
2: Yeah. It's just the price you've got to pay. You can't go near schools, but you're going to look so sharp.
3: What do I win if I do this, by the way?
2: Adoration and respect.
3: Oh, that's what I've always wanted. (laughs) But you haven't got any of that already, so unfortunately. (laughs) Don't like it. first episode which aired in 1989 January the 8th
2: cast your minds back yes I I was three I was you uh, were how old are you 42
3: (laughs) I was at my retirement party when this was on
2: what were the dinosaurs like, Adam? <laughs> <laughs> You're not even old. I feel old. I feel a lot older than I am. That's one of the things that I think, well, like, resonates with me, and the Christie resonates with me because I feel like an old lady. I feel like Miss Marple.
3: Well, you've very kindly showed me the house that you and your husband are buying, yeah. and it does have a bit of a Christie vibe.
2: It's a 30s house, yes. Mm. Cannot it's wait. Very cool. I'm going to store Just myself orders. into your
3: ceiling. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> the first episode, which aired on January the 8th, 1989, was yes. The Adventure of the Clapham Cook. Yes. Do you want to do a brief, brief run through of the plot?
2: I feel like you should do it because your voice is so much better than mine, but I'll oh, give me. it a go.
3: <laughs> well, just, well just, just do the IMDB tagline for the episode. Do you know it? Not off the top of my head. Okay, <laughs> well, why not? You <laughs> Call yourself a fan.
2: My commitment, I know, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um.
3: um well, I've got it here. The IMDb description is Poirot probes the disappearance of a wealthy woman's cook and soon uncovers an elaborate plot to hide an even darker crime.
2: That is a good description. A very good description, actually.
3: So, where do you want to start? The beginning. Go on, then.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good <laughs> Well, I think the one thing missing from that, the synopsis, is basically the very, very beginning of it. I mean, you see a man very nefariously tying up a trunk with rope and he's really pulling it and you're like oh is he strangling someone what's he doing Oh, no, he's just trying to try tying a trunk up but then it cuts to you see Whitehaven mansions for the first time and it's all its glory Poirot's beautiful apartment building where he lives stunning art deco design we could talk about the curves of that building for <laughs>
3: something about that building, isn't
2: there? I mean, it's bordering on erotic. I should probably stop. We'll that in.
3: Smoosh my body against
2: it. hmm <laughs> Just... <laughs> all the way. <laughs> you remember this is an audio medium, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. But, <laughs> no. But, yeah, it's a yeah, beautiful building, and it, it opens up with Poirot and Hastings, and Hastings is going through the paper, trying to find a case to entice Poirot, Um, because he's had a bit of a bit of a lull lately in his caseload and nothing's inspiring him it's all boring and he's fed up and he wants something good and he's got he's got a long list of tasks that he needs to do important stuff like you know pomade his moustache get his suit cleaned all the essential stuff that you know a man about town needs to have done
3: well as i know yeah i'm just getting my collars and
2: cuffs done (laughs) and you're gonna know soon with your moustache it's very exciting can't wait to see that me
3: too Going to go on all the registers.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'll say you can't take your kids to school, but they're too <laughs> old for school now anyway, now, so you're fine.
4: Yeah, it's one saving grace. <laughs> Mysterious suicide, absconding bank clerk, missing typers. Yes, but I am not greatly attracted to any of
5: them, me. I have many affairs of importance of my own to attend to. Such as? Um, my wardrobe, Hastings. If I mistake not, there is on my new gray suit the spot of grease. You have noticed it, perhaps, huh? No. No, well, well, it's only the one spot you understand, but it is sufficient to trouble me. Then there is my winter overcoat. I must lay him aside in the powder of kittings. And I think, yes, I think the moment is ripe for the trimming of the moustache.
2: And then basically he gets a visit from a very angry little woman, (laughs) Mrs. Todd. (laughs)
3: So glad you described her like that, not me. I would have had letters. You can't describe
1: (laughs)
2: women that way. (laughs) You are so cancelled. Now, Mrs. Todd, I I think if anybody watches the episode, we'll see that Mrs. Todd is not the most pleasant of women. So Hmm. um, I don't think she represents womankind in general. Um, But she comes in and she basically wants him to help find her missing cook. And is a little bit dismissive at first, a little bit snobby. He does have his snobby elements to him because he's the great Hercule Poirot.
3: Famously, yes, yes. Yes.
2: So why would he waste his time finding a domestic cook? And she makes a very impassioned speech about how a cook is just as valuable as, as anything, as diamonds, I think, or something like that, she says.
0: I'll tell you what I want you to do for me. I want you to find my cook.
5: I fear you are making a mistake, madame. Hercule Poirot is a private detective.
0: I know that. Haven't I just told you I want you to find my cook for me? Walked out of the house on Wednesday without so much as a buy or leave and never came back.
5: I am sorry, madame, but I do not touch that particular kind of business. I wish you
1: good day.
3: There's a beautiful moment, actually, when he, because he does dismiss her. He's just, yes. Hastings has just said something along the lines of, well, there's a jewel robbery, there's a, you know, there's a heist thing that's happened. He's like, no, no, no. She throws it back at him and says, a good cook's a good cook, and you're very high and mighty. Mm -hmm. And there's a beautiful moment where he he sort of stiffens, Mm. you know, takes the insult on board. Yeah. And, it just like melts him, doesn't it? Mm. It's a beautiful moment. He's so
2: good. He's so good. And this is the thing, and that's why I think his Poirot is so perfect in his representation of it, because Poirot is vastly superior to all of us. That's just a fact. He just is, because he's so intelligent and he's so worldly and you know, his genius is is visible. But he's not rude. He is not a rude man. He's all about manners and proper etiquette and decorum. And I think he recognised in that moment that he was being a bit of a dick.
3: Yeah, it's like, I, I don't deal with this kind of business. I'm really sorry that's hurt you. Yeah. Let me apologise. And, and yeah, yeah. It's, it, like you say, that's a very well-written character. It's very well played as well. It's not... Yeah. He's not a caricature at all. No. You do imagine he's going to be at the beginning when he's doing... No, no. And he's sitting there with the thing. But he humanises himself at every opportunity.
5: I am sorry, madame, but I do not touch that particular kind of business. I wish you good day
0: so that's it is it too proud eh only deal with government secrets and countess's jewels well let me tell you mr high and mighty poirot a good cook's a good cook and when you lose one it's as much to you as pearls out of some fine lady
4: <laughs> you are in the right and i am
5: in the wrong your remarks are just and intelligent This case would be a novelty, Hastings. Never before have we hunted a missing domestic. Truly, here is the problem of national importance. Wonderful. Where do you reside, Mrs. Dodd?
2: 88 Prince Albert Road to Clapham and that's david's and that's david suchet i think bringing that in mm. in particular yeah, because I mean, you yeah, know yeah, you watch albert finney you watch david, peter houston adaptations and they're just quite mean as poirot's they're mm. very dismissive they're judgy people have, and they know that they're smarter than everyone and they're quite happy to say it in a very brash way but as poirot is all about he and, and particularly he's you know he speaks to people of all classes in every episode and he's you know, polite and warm to a fault. Unless someone's rude to him, like he will treat everyone with the utmost respect and he respects human life. That's the whole point. And I think that's the warmth that David Suchet brings to that, to his character.
3: Demonstrated many times in this first series, especially. Yes. It's always the servants or the housemaids, the house help and the staff that he charms, first of all, especially in this episode. He always charms them. Uh, gets the most information out of them, treats mm-hmm. them like people instead of servants or pets like the the owners of the houses do. Yes. Um and as well he's an ex-policeman. He didn't come from money or anything. He's not upper class. No. Just a very polite, well ordered man who knows what he likes. Definitely a hint of O C D there. <laughs> oh
2: just a smidge. Yeah. To just thought. a smidge. Oh, a bit. But also there is he I think as a ex-policeman, he knows that if you want to get the information that you need out of people you know, particularly the, the servants and things in the houses are the ones that see everything. They're the ones with all the information. The way to get that is to be nice to people and to be engaging and warm and build a rapport with people instead of just demanding and shouting questions at them. know, so you get a better response. Like, And, and in this episode, we, we get onto it in a bit, but he speaks to Annie, the maid, and she basically falls for him big time. He flatters her and she says some silly things. But he totally indulges her and, and he gets everything he needs as a result.
5: Sit yourself. Thank you, sir. All that you shall tell us will be of the greatest importance, Annie. You alone can shed any light on the case. Without you, I can do nothing.
0: Sir, I'm sure I'll tell you anything I can, sir.
5: That is good. Now, first of all, what is your own idea? You are a girl of remarkable intelligence that can be seen at once. But this is a queer thing, eh? What is your own explanation of Eliza's disappearance?
0: White slavers, sir. Uh-huh. I've said so all along, sir, only no one will listen. Cook was always warning me against them. Don't you go sniffing no scent, nor eating no sweets,
2: no matter how gentlemanly the fellow.
5: Uh, this is something we had not thought of, Hastings.
3: No,
2: right. Good heavens. He knows people, and you can tell.
3: It happens again in the next episode actually yeah we'll we'll talk about that but again it's it's always the the kids playing in the street or the under under stairs staff that provide the vital clue and whereas jap is always a man who's sort of right then my lad you know is always chest puffed out using his power and authority to get what he wants um that's generally that kind of approach doesn't work with anyone Mm -hmm. even in this episode Hastings does a bit of chest puffing out when he speaks to the porter near the end of the episode. Yes, um, and gets like <laughs> get <on laughs> just the gets So we <laughs> get to him. But um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> to continue with the plot, I think Poirot takes the case of the missing cook because he feels bad for having insulted Mrs. Todd. Yes, goes to her house and instantly begins to recognise that something is wrong in the house. Not just the missing cook. There seems to be some kind of something not sitting right with him, especially in the room of her paying guest, the lodger. Mr.
2: Simpson. Mr. Simpson. I'm trying to my little accent. Mr. Simpson. <laughs> Very offensive to the people listening. I can only apologise for our French-Belgian <laughs> listeners.
3: There are many. <laughs> anyway, so he goes to the house, um, discovers that something is up in the room of Mr. Simpson, who works at a bank. Yes. And upon further investigation, Poirot uh, uncovers the fact that one of his co-workers at the bank, Mr. Davis... Yeah, Mister Davis has disappeared with fifty thousand pounds of securities,
2: which in today's currency is approximately thirty quid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Ah, my
5: dear Chief Inspector, Gerard.
6: after the reward, I eh, pray. Mm-hmm.
5: Oh no, 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 no! No, I am engaged on quite a different case. And what would this different case be then? Ah oh, well, now there is such a thing as client confidentiality, Chief Inspector. Let me just say that this case I am engaged on is of national importance. Well, I'm glad to hear it, Poirot. Someone was trying to tell me you'd gone into the missing domestics business. No, no, I said. Not Poirot, I said. Hard times or not, he wouldn't fall that far.
3: I <laughs> um, can't really say much more about the plot without spoiling it.
2: This is the thing. I don't know how deep we want to go into it. Mm. But I do want to mention there is a moment when he's speaking to Mr. Todd where Poro gets uncomfortably close to him.
3: (laughs) Oh, Mr. Simpson, you mean?
2: (laughs) Oh, sorry, yes, sorry, Mr. Todd's the. the, I was going to say there is is a great scene with Mr.
3: Todd. He just sits yeah. down and pours himself a drink and they're both going...
2: You <laughs> <laughs> see Hastings' heart break visibly yeah. on the screen. The exact moment, like in The Simpsons, where his heart breaks and there's yeah. no drink for him. Yeah, um, yeah, that is true. But the bit I always think about is Mr. Simpson when he goes up to... And he's basically like nose to nose with him, practically.
3: Like one inch yeah. from... from- full sex yeah and he
2: <laughs> from kissing and he asked him about his if he's done amateur dramatics or something have you been in the theatre and he's like no mm-hmm. tell me
5: Mr Simpson what does a young fellow find to do around here of an evening huh oh the usual things you know oh with musical evenings amateur theatricals that kind of thing yes I suppose so but you do not interest yourself hmm <laughs> afraid
3: not. <laughs> Thank you. It's very left field. And also, Suchet plays that again as another perfect moment where he sort of looks at him and sort of goes to turn, but then looks back. And it, it's very subtle. Yeah. But it's very uh, perfectly played. You can tell that he's noticed something. Mm. And- Then he asks him this really strange question. Yeah. How how much of dramatics.
2: But again, see that's, that's obviously quite a significant part of the narrative. And Agatha Christie makes sure that, you know, in the the writing and in the the adaptation, they make sure you notice it because you're not going to forget David Suchet Eskimo kissing.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you haven't. (laughs) Well, clearly, I'm just very jealous.
1: Um,
2: But yeah, it's a, it's a fun moment. And yeah, he's, there's so many fun little moments like that. I mean, you could easily dismiss it. It's like, oh, it's it's so quirky, my goodness. But it's nothing's mm. nothing's ever everything that Poirot does is meticulously calculated, and it's for mm. the the gain of knowledge and insight, and that's why mm. it's so so good. God damn, he's good.
3: So he is. Yes, God damn it. God damn. Um, the first clue comes from Annie, the housemaid, as as we say. Um she describes the events leading up to the disappearance of the cook who just vanished one day, Mm -hmm. um, sent for her things. Um, So the mystery then becomes what happened to Mr. Davis and his £50,000 of securities? What happened to the cook and why did she go in the middle of the night? And how are the two things linked? It seems to be through Mr. Simpson, but we don't know how. And that is the mystery.
2: And that's where... Also, the crossover happens because in the book, Jap isn't in the book, right. but he's mentioned in the book because he says, "Please don't tell Inspector Jap that I'm investigating a disappearing disappeared cook because that's you know far too inferior for the likes yeah. of me." Um, and then he goes to the bank and he sees Jap sees him, and you can see the amusement on his face where he's like, "Ha." <laughs> it's true. I've heard rumour that you're investigating the disappearance of a cook, and yeah, the poor tries to hide himself. Oh, so good. But um, yeah. So it, there is that overlap with the bank, and then there's this. That's when you know, as they alluded to in the synopsis that you read, there's something darker going on.
3: Yes, there, there is. And it turns out that there's um, an even more insidious crime that's taken place, um that yes. connects the two. Things together.
2: And arguably the most insidious crime of all is the, there's a moment where, I'm not going to spoil too much, but it shows, do we, we go on and talk about the fact that they do find the cook?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I, mean, I think it's fair to say Poirot solves what happens to the, <laughs> this is all done in 45 minutes because the genius of these, of these earlier episodes is that they crammed entire stories down to, you know, an hour yeah. with breaks, so that's about 45 minutes. But yeah, I mean, Poirot, of course he wins the day. Of you course. find out what's happened to the cook. Yeah. You find out what's happened to the securities, you find out what's happened to Mr. Davis, and you find out how Mr. Simpson is involved in
2: everything. Shockingly genius. Of course it is, because it's from the mind of Agatha Christie. But the bit I was referring to, the most, probably the worst crime in the whole episode, is um, when the cook is basically explaining that she disappeared because uh, an Australian lawyer approached her and told her that she was entitled to a house in Keswick and a lot of money... Mm. Um, But she can't be in domestic service in order to get these things. So that's one of the reasons why she disappears. But the biggest crime of all is this guy's Australian accent, because Jesus Christ, (laughs) it's absolutely terrible. Now, Miss
5: Dunn, to business. I do have to tell you that the house is in Kiswick.
0: Ah, that's just over by Acton, isn't it, sir?
5: Now, Miss Dunn, it's in the north of England, near Carlisle.
0: Oh, my good God.
5: Uh, But before we confront that particular difficulty, there is one other stipulation that we should get out of the way.
0: Whatever's that, sir?
5: Well, it's of no importance as it doesn't apply in this case, thank heaven. It's just a stipulation that you should not be in domestic service. Oh. Whatever's the matter, Miss Dunn?
0: I'm a cook, sir. Didn't I tell you at the house? My dear Miss Dunn, I had
1: no
5: idea. This is very
2: Oh, There's a bit later on as well where basically David E. J. is like, y- you know that that wasn't really an Australian accent, that wasn't really Australian, and, and Hastings is just flabbergasted. Like, wait a second! It's like obviously he wasn't there to hear yeah. how bad it was, but you know, there was but no it's
3: Australian, himself. he says, and yes, there was. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: So good. So good. There are so many, there are some really good withering put downs in this episode as well. We've missed the couple already from the beginning. Go on. From Mrs. Todd. Go on.
3: Please do. Mrs.
2: Todd, when she first meets Poirot for the first time, and she says, she starts off, Poirot loves flattery. That's Mm. a fact. So she starts off saying like, oh, you're the famous detective. I read about you in the paper. And then she says, Oh, did you pay for that bit in the paper saying how clever you are? <laughs> or did they put that in there themselves? And you can see his face drop, which is <laughs> possibly why he's a bit rude to her to begin with, because he's like, hey, <laughs> mean. come on, Mrs. who oh, Are you Mr. Poirot?
5: I am Hercule Poirot, yes, madam.
0: Oh, you're not a bit how I thought you'd be. <laughs> did you pay for that bit in the paper saying what a clever detective you were, or did they put it in themselves? Madame... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sure. But you know what newspapers
3: are like nowadays. Nothing but puff. Le sick burn, I think that's got to be. Oh,
2: is that, is, that the, is that the Belgian French for it? No,
3: it's Flemish, don't check. Le sick burn. So, yeah, um, I think that's got to be the sickest burn. There's always a, a very good put down in all of these episodes. I especially like the, the porter at the end. It's just constant. It calls um, <laughs> it calls Hastings. You know, I don't talk to the, the monkey, I talk to the organ grinder. No, no, I've
2: got it, I've got it. I'm talking to the engineer, not the oil rag. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. Savage. Yeah. <laughs> Are
5: you looking for this bloke or something?
3: Well, of course we're
5: looking for him. I'm talking to the engineer, not the oil rag. Now look here. You know, look,
3: but like, the, the standard, all the, the, the quality of their scripts, all the way through. Every episode is so strong. And they don't just, as I say, they're not just um, avatars who pop up and solve a crime and go home. They develop in in all kinds of amazing ways throughout every episode. Poirot and Jap have their own relationship. Jap and Hastings have their own relationship. Hastings and Miss Lemon have their own relationship. Even Jap and Miss Lemon have their own relationship. Poirot and Miss Lemon just, there's some... Uh. such amazing amazing writing in this especially in i'm now keep harping on about this episode in the dream yeah it's the one where miss lemon is inadvertently responsible for solving the crime and you think she's going to get this incredible reward at the end i won't spoil it but (laughs) (laughs) it's (laughs) absolutely brilliant
2: yeah and it shows you that Poirot is not quite as clever as he thinks he is. Sometimes <laughs> it doesn't perce- not quite as perceptive as he likes to believe at all times. But there, there is some great conversation between Hastings and Poirot in that one. Where there's that bit where Hastings is like, "I was thinking of popping down to Sandown because he loves the races," and Poirot goes, "No, you do not pop."
5: <laughs> <laughs> and you, Hastings, do not you run away with such celerity? I have work for you too. Oh. Uh... As a matter of fact, I was
3: thinking of popping down to Sandown this afternoon.
5: No, no, no. You do not pop. Oh, well, there's a horse running a pal of mine owns a leg of. When he owns four legs, I pop with you. But now it's time for work, yes? As for me, I
3: pop to the city of London.
2: Pop. <laughs> <laughs> so much better with a French accent or Belgian accent. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Jesus. Thank you. It's very <laughs> <interesting>. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> There's definitely <a laughs> There's definitely a pound coin being held in place and a certain scene on the bridge
2: yes yeah when they've left i believe they've finished their interrogation at the household at the todd household and they're walking back and discussing it and straight away as well that hastings is like i think mr todd did it and he's like not just because he didn't offer you a drink (laughs) hastings (laughs) doesn't necessarily mean but yeah he's a but yeah he's uh you can really see the full glory of the mints and you think how far up is the coin at this stage is it secure? I
3: think he might have swallowed it. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> I think
2: comes that's out his David, mouth.
3: You never see David Suchet on a trampoline. I think that's because he would just <laughs> it'd be like shaking the piggy bank <laughs> <laughs> quite quite a few times. It's happened. What do you think? Oh, yes, God, let's discuss good. that on a Poirot <laughs> yes, podcast. <respect>
2: <laughs> I'm so sorry if David Suchet ever listened to this, but it's out of respect for the craft <laughs> yeah, yeah, that we I mentioned. Mean, we're, just, we're
3: just wowed by your method.
2: <laughs> oh my God, he must have buns of steel. Truly. (laughs) Claudia, (laughs) he's been doing that workout, that Claudia Schiffer, Cindy Crawford one. You know what he's doing.
3: (laughs) What do you think of the fact that they chose this for the first episode? Do you think it's a strong enough one to kick things off?
2: it establishes the relationships really well within the four like you say um you you, because as we say they have added Jap in he's not in the original book but you get a really clear introduction of who everyone is what their role is kind of within the setup and the dynamic of their relationships and you get a soft introduction to I guess the kinds of crime that you'll see in an Agatha Christie story where it's you know, it's, there are some brutal murders, but you never see anything gory. And you never actually see... I mean, actually, there is quite a gruesome reveal at one point where they open and they find the body. Yeah. And it's a little bit like, oh, goodness, that's a little bit bit upsetting.
1: Mm, for Sunday um, evening. But
2: nothing... Yes, my goodness. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I think it's a good... It's an We've discussed before when we talked about doing this, mm. um, how it was an interesting choice to start with short stories for the first... Ten episodes because mm. it's such a rich catalog, and there are such big name books, you know, like *Murder on the Orient Express* and *Death on the Nile*. Like really big, well known Agatha Christie. So they could have, you know, gone in with a big one right off the bat, but they chose to start with these short stories. What do you? Why do you think they did that?
3: I couldn't say, but it makes me inordinately glad that they did mm. because I think if they'd started with *Mysterious Affair at Styles*, which you know chronologically would have been yes first book i think that would have been great but i love the fact that they kept it for an anniversary option made it a full-length thing um Mm -hmm. because it's almost like we know who they are already and now let's show you how they met kind of thing i think it would have been a bit pat Mm. if they'd done it chronologically but um i love the fact that they do the short stories i think it makes it really really palatable really easy to get into um and the mysteries. The, mm. there's not an ounce of fat in any of these things every single scene's important even at the beginning where they're talking about the the grease spot on his jacket and you have no d- better. <laughs> I mean, just it, it tells you everything you need to know about their relationships like you say it's a very i wonder if they filmed all 10 and said which one would work best to wear first i mean there must have been an element yeah, that, possibly. i think um i think it's a good choice
2: yeah absolutely and i think it's potentially as well for they spent a lot of money on them clearly but they thought maybe we'll just dip our toe in and see what the audience response is with these short ones and then if people become hooked which everybody did um then we'll go big and go with the big stories and give them that big production value that they deserve really because the big ones don't come until way later on in the Mm. series like they're kind of the latter end and it is when they start getting a bit even bigger budget bigger name stars and all that kind of thing, that they go for the big ones. But, um, yeah, no, I'm, thank God they started, like, thank God they did these ones, because it's, yeah, incredible.
3: As well, if they'd gone full length from the beginning, it would have been kind of, I don't know, it would have been really hard to do the smaller stories. Like, yeah. imagine doing... Cook or yes. Murder in the Muse, yeah, or something right. later right. when you've done Death on the Nile and Parallel End House and things like that. So,
2: and I'm sorry to be crude, but you don't want to like blow your load too early, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the general rule, yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with
2: the TV shows, um, mm. so you don't want to. Maybe that's the. Maybe that was the thinking: is if we start big, then no one's going to care about the smaller ones. Mm. And yeah, exactly. Whereas it's, this built the love.
1: Yeah,
3: it does. It's like you get to see them at home. Oh, I love it.
2: God, I just want to go watch more and more and more. I say it's the perfect show, isn't it? To just come home and just put on.
3: It really is. Yeah, it can. It works for anything. You can watch it in the evening, in the afternoon, while you're making dinner, like I do. Very good.
2: It's, it's the thing. It's funny. It's sweet because their relationship is really loving and caring for each other. It can be quite scary at points. It can be quite thrilling and stressful. And it's just yeah. It's not. It's everything. It's just perfect. Yeah, I'm just, I hope you don't mind the fact that basically every episode is just going to be us going, Oh, isn't it gushing. good? It's so good. It's just, oh my God, it's amazing. <laughs> like there's not going to be any kind of harsh criticism because it's impossible to criticise.
3: It's the best perfect TV show ever made. Yeah. Plus at the backbone of every episode, you have the fantastic mysteries of Angus Christie brought to life by a once in a lifetime. Yeah cast there's literally no other time in history that could have been made Mm-mm. that would have worked as well there's no one else who could have played these characters as well as these people play them
2: oh, ble- I ble- <laughs> <Branner. laughs>
3: we had to mention it <laughs> sorry and i
2: swore as well um yeah no he, he, perfection achieved
3: mm, absolutely So, I mean, we'll delve into people more next time. We'll delve into the next episode. But obviously, I think from both of us, it's a hard recommend. If you haven't watched Borrow before and you're new to it, you're perhaps thinking, it's a series I've always spotted in the schedules. and never really dipped my toe. If you live in the UK, mm. 100% you will have seen at least one episode in your life because it's just on a loop all the time. And It's
2: an institution.
3: Yeah. Adventure of the Clap and Cook is the first episode. and I think it's a very good one to start with because it nails like I say, it nails all the intricacies of his character, I think. Yeah. The snobby part, you get the um the O C D part, you get Hastings at his I say best. And you get <laughs> Jap and you get Miss Lemon and it's yeah, it's a really good <laughs> That's movie. another Plus really it good starts one. small and it ends really big.
2: Yeah, so, you're right. And there's a really cool. iconic moment when oh, I'm not gonna spoil it, but yeah, it's worth watching just for that. Lot there's one. Name that he shouts at the end. Oh, it's It's brilliant. Shivers down the spine. It's so good. (laughs) Um, But it's, I think, if you. If you do want to watch it, people listening, um, I think it's all on BritBox from what I hear, which I think is available in other countries as well, but it's well worth it. And if you think as well, I think what Agatha Christie sometimes gets a reputation for being a bit soft and fluffy.
1: Yeah. And
2: there are definitely, there's a bit of soft fluff around the edges, but if there is, it's such a rich story. The genius of the writing, it makes it worth it. And just even just to look at the sets, the costume, the production of it, it's, definitely worth a watch you won't regret it especially on a sunday afternoon like you say if you're cooking or you just want to relax at the end of a long day you can't go wrong i think you'll love it
3: it's very hard to watch one as well especially of these shorter ones oh yeah like it's if you're watching series one you're like oh let's watch another one because they always end on these moments as well that make Mm -hmm. you go god i love this show so much and if you're like me a nostalgia lover It's just Mm a visual feast. You'll watch it once for the mystery. You'll watch it the second time for for Suchet and the moments you missed. You'll watch it for the third time for all the detail. And it just boggles the mind how they managed to fill an entire street full of 1920s automobiles and how they had people walking in the distance in authentic period costume. It's, oh,
2: God. Incredible.
3: It's an incredible achievement, I have to say. It's one of the things I will always forgive ITV for anything because they Mm. made the Poirot series and the fact that they stuck it out and kept paying so they could put every single episode out there is what an achievement
2: and it was it was a great investment for them because from what I you know from seeing David Suchet live in his house and also on stage um, <laughs> on he um, <laughs> it's it's syndicated all over the world I think it's translated into you know hundreds of languages at this point and it's got a huge international appeal like, I think people in like Japan know David Suchet's Poirot it's, Yeah it's a huge thing so it's yeah i mean itv you would think no the itv in the in the uk hasn't got the best reputation for making the hardest hitting you know big budget thrillers or anything but they they saw a um a, a genius kind of route to take that would last a lifetime and it's still showing all the time because they know people will still watch it and that's why it's genius and and Poirot more so than Marple, I would say, even, because Marple's been successful, but not in the same way as the Poirot series mm. has for them.
3: No. It's slightly harder to connect with Miss Marple, I find. Mm. I mean, the um, TV... Because you hate old ladies? <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, famously. <laughs> 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 you know, don't, don't mention old ladies you know, around me. Um, <laughs> the rage. <laughs> um, yeah, because oh, also, as well, she tends to do things on her own in stories. And she's very mm. quiet and very passive. And she doesn't tend to, like interjects until the she's end a listener. yeah she's a listener mm. um but with poirot mm. he's a bit more dynamic he's out there he's solving it he's got friends and they're all brilliant as well so
2: yeah and he's qualified to solve crime where she's literally just an old lady like i love Marple, but <laughs> she's like she's just a nosy old woman <laughs> yeah.
3: serious imposter syndrome yeah
2: seriously and they all just like by the end of it the police are like yeah okay let's let the old lady do it <laughs> she's good but she doesn't have any qualifications she doesn't really have any yeah, reason to be there. David Suchet mm. Poirot, he's head of the Belgian police.
3: He gets a big Souchier. <sighs>
2: there you go.
3: That's how we could rate the episodes. We could give them a Souchet or a Souchnay. Although I don't think we'll ever use Souchnay.
2: They're going to get a Souchier every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think so. It's going to be a Souch. And that, when I emailed you about doing this podcast, I nice. thought... <laughs> <laughs> my subject line which i really debated doing or not my husband was like don't do it I'm like, oh, i really want to though and i put david souche hey subject line
3: i didn't even need to read the email i was like sold
2: <laughs> thank god thank god you understand
3: yeah the adventure of the clapping cook then it's a hard sushi from both
2: of us. Case closed.
3: I do kind of want to gush about it a bit more, but I think, you know, we've been on That's quite a while, for about an hour now, and it is an opener, and you can't really spoil the mystery. So. But this is
2: the thing. I think if we say any more, then we're just going to be reading out the entire episode. Like, <laughs> just doing it. So maybe maybe we save that, like you say.
3: Yeah, there's plenty more to talk about. I definitely want to dig more into the music maybe next time
2: as well. Okay, oh, yeah, well, let's do that in the next one and the, and the credits and everything. Yeah. Uh,
3: well, then, for this inaugural episode, Investigation from the Labour's cool. it's been fabulous spending some time with you, Frankie.
2: Likewise. Thank you so much.
3: And um, we'll see you on the next episode for Murder in the Muse. Oh,
2: exciting. Amu- very amusing. Oh, just, <laughs> I knew it.
3: I knew it. It's <laughs> <That's> a <laughs> <sush-nay>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah,
3: <fair>. <laughs> <laughs>
2: If you'd like to keep up to date with what we're doing or get in touch with us, you can follow us on Twitter at LaborsHercule. We're also on Instagram if you like pictures at Labors of Hercule. And if you were born in the 1920s yourself, then you can be all old fashioned and email us at bonjour at thelabofhercule.com. That's it from us, see you next time. Au revoir mes amis.